In today's episode of Flying Smarter, we're answering questions about birds and planes, as well as in-seat power. We're also taking a close look at how low-cost airlines work and what you need to know about flying with one. Welcome to episode 3 of Flying Smarter, the podcast where we explore the fascinating world of air travel. You know, there's just so much to talk about when it comes to commercial flying, from travel tips, to business models, to the technical aspects of different planes, and it's my goal to help you learn about these and to become a better informed and smarter air traveler. As usual, we'll begin our episode by answering a few questions about air travel. How dangerous are birds to planes? Birds do pose a hazard to aircraft, and they have caused accidents in the past. One of the most famous examples is US Airways Flight 1549, sometimes referred to as the Miracle on the Hudson. What happened here is a plane struck a flock of geese on its initial climb from New York's LaGuardia Airport, and the plane lost power in both of its engines. Because the aircraft was so low, the pilots didn't have enough time to divert to a nearby airport and ended up ditching their plane in the Hudson River. Fortunately though, all the passengers on the flight survived. When a bird collides with a plane, it's known as a bird strike, and these actually happen fairly often. In the United States alone, roughly 40 bird strikes happen each day. The good news is that bird strikes rarely cause injury or death, and the vast majority of bird strikes cause no harm whatsoever to the occupants of the plane. For the bird, however, these encounters are almost always fatal. Because bird strikes are so common and have the potential to be very dangerous, there's a whole host of measures in place to reduce them and the damage that they cause. Aircraft are designed to withstand collisions with birds, and their engines are built to safely shut down if a bird gets ingested. Airports also have wildlife management staff who will deal with birds around the airport grounds. Deterrents such as lights, pyrotechnics, and even pellet guns are commonly used to keep birds away. Airports might also try to make their environments less appealing to birds by removing things like wetlands and food sources, or just simply by going out and catching and relocating birds. Some airports, like Toronto Pearson International Airport and Mexico City International Airport, actually employ trained birds of prey, like hawks and falcons, and they have professional bird handlers who use them to scare other birds away. Do all plane seats have power plugs these days? Well, many airlines have been adding in-seat power with universal power plugs as people fly with more and more devices. That being said, there's still a good amount of seats out there that don't have in-seat power. So if you're looking to figure out whether your plane will have power at the seat on your next flight, you're going to have to do some research. And what you'll need to do is look at the type of plane that you're flying on and whether that airline has in-seat power for that specific type of plane. And you can usually do this online by going and viewing your booking, which will tell you what type of plane you're flying on, and then looking at the airline's webpage talking about your specific type of plane. And that will usually list the features on board that specific aircraft. 
How easy it is to find all this information really depends on the airline though. Some airlines are super helpful and will actually tell you if your seat has power when you're either doing your booking or checking in or viewing the flight status. Remember though, it's always possible that your plane could get changed at the last minute or that the power at your seat simply isn't working. So if you want to be on the safe side, you should bring a power bank and make sure that your devices are fully charged before you go flying. And lots of airports are adding things like charging stations these days, so it's easier than ever to ensure that you have fully charged devices before you get on the plane. Did you know that the largest airline in the world by the number of planes is American Airlines? There's a number of ways you can classify the size of an airline, but if you look at fleet size, which is the number of aircraft an airline has, four of the five largest airlines are in the United States. And the top five airlines by fleet size in descending order are American Airlines, Delta Airlines, United Airlines, Southwest Airlines, and in number five is China Eastern Airlines. There's no doubt that flying can be expensive. Even though commercial air travel today is more affordable and more accessible than it's been in the past, it can still take a good chunk out of your wallet. Now you might have heard of or have even purchased a plane ticket at some unbelievably low price, like 10 euros if you're in Europe, or maybe $50 in the United States. And the reason that these fares are possible, and one of the reasons why flying is overall less expensive than it's ever been in the past, is the existence of low-cost carriers. If you're traveling on a budget or are looking to save some money on your next trip, low-cost carriers are definitely something to consider if they're an option, and they're often the cheapest way to get around. If you haven't flown with one before though, there's some things that you should know before you book and fly with one. And today, we're going to explore how low-cost carriers work and the things that you should be aware of before you fly with one. I'm going to answer a few specific questions about low-cost carriers. Firstly, we're going to talk about what low-cost carriers are. Second, we're going to ask how they keep their costs low. Third, we're going to talk about how their business model affects you as a traveler. And fourth, we're going to answer the question of whether low-cost carriers are safe. So what are low-cost carriers? In essence, they're airlines that strive to keep their operating costs low and in turn offer lower fares for their passengers. If you've ever seen or heard of tickets in Europe for 5, 10, maybe 20 euros, or fares of 50 or 60 dollars in the United States, these most likely came from a low-cost carrier. The business models of different low-cost carriers can vary, but the general idea is to keep costs low, provide limited services, and offer low fares. Now if you're still not completely sure of which airlines I'm referring to, let me go through some examples quickly. Low-cost carriers tend to be fairly aggressive marketers, so even if you don't fly very much, there's a decent chance that you've heard of some of these. In the US, the major low-cost carriers are airlines like Spirit Airlines, JetBlue, Allegiant, Frontier, and Southwest. Although JetBlue and Southwest are sort of special cases, and I'll talk a bit more about them later. On the other hand, traditional carriers in the US would be airlines like American, Delta, and United. In Canada, the low-cost carriers include Swoop and Flair, while the traditional carriers are Air Canada and WestJet. 
I should point out though, WestJet used to brand themselves as a low-cost carrier, but in recent years, they've been more of a traditional full-service airline. In Europe, the big low-cost carriers include EasyJet and Ryanair, while traditional carriers would be ones like British Airways, Lufthansa, and KLM. Moving on, let's look at the business models of these low-cost carriers and talk about how they keep their prices so low. They employ a number of practices that make them different from other airlines, and some of these have big implications for passengers, while others are just interesting to learn about. I should also point out that some of these things are universal and are used by most, if not all, low-cost carriers, while others are only employed by some of them or only used in some parts of the world. Low-cost carriers are very well known for providing limited services. You shouldn't expect things like free snacks or free drinks, and there's not going to be any uh, fancy business class seats or luxurious airport lounges, at least on most low-cost carriers. They also tend to employ what is known as the industry as a point-to-point network. Traditional carriers tend to use what's called a hub-and-spoke model for the route network, and what this means is that they bring passengers into their big connecting hubs and funnel them through there onto different flights to maximize the amount of itineraries that they serve. On the other hand, low-cost carriers tend to fly their passengers directly from their point of origin to their destination airport. And what this does is it reduces or eliminates the number of connecting passengers, which saves the associated costs from things like having transfer staff at the airport and rebooking people who miss their connections. Some low-cost carriers actually go even further and just prohibit connections altogether. Another thing that low-cost carriers will do is try to reduce the airport charges and fees that they have to pay. Airlines pay fees to airports when they use their runways and their gates, and low-cost carriers will do things to keep these costs low. A common tactic is to use secondary airports, which tend to be smaller and further away from the city center. For example, in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Allegiant flies to Concord Regional Airport instead of the main Charlotte Douglas International Airport. In the Vancouver area, Swoop flies to Abbotsford International Airport as opposed to Vancouver International Airport. And instead of using Paris Charles de Gaulle or Paris Orly Airport, Ryanair flies to Beauvais Airport. The other way that low-cost carriers can sometimes reduce their airport fees is by having flights that take off and land at less desirable times of day, like early in the morning or late at night. Low-cost carriers generally also focus on leisure traffic. In the airline industry, there's essentially two types of passengers, those who are flying for business and those who are flying for leisure. Business travelers are flying for work and usually need to be in a certain place at a certain time. They might not care that much about the price because their company or their client is likely to be paying for that flight. On the other hand, those who are traveling for leisure, like those taking a vacation or those who are visiting friends and relatives, tend to be more flexible with things like timing and even where they're going. Perhaps most importantly though, Leisure travelers are much more price-conscious and price-sensitive than business travelers, which makes them the ideal focus for low-cost carriers. Low-cost carriers are very good at generating what's called ancillary revenue, which refers to revenue that is derived from sources other than the company's primary product. So for airlines, 
This means revenues from things other than plane tickets. And this is the reason that low-cost carriers are notorious for charging fees for basically anything, and we'll talk about that later. They might also attempt to generate ancillary revenue from things like advertising on their aircraft. Behind the scenes, low-cost carriers tend to schedule very little time between when a plane lands at an airport and when it takes off for its next flight. And in the airline industry, this is referred to as low turnaround time. And this allows them to maximize the flying time of their planes. And as those who are in the industry know, planes don't really make money when they're sitting on the ground. Low-cost carriers might also use their staff in multiple roles. So for example, instead of having a dedicated cleaning crew come clean the plane between flights, flight attendants might be performing that role instead. Now, how do these practices and business models affect you as a passenger? Most notably, low-cost carriers will charge a lot of additional fees on top of your ticket price. The base fare usually only includes your seat and one, maybe two carry-on bags. And then they'll charge you for things like seat selection and checking bags. And at this point, you might be thinking that some traditional airlines also charge for these types of things too, especially in North America. And you would have a point. But low-cost carriers will go even further they might have charges for things like having water on board, printing your own boarding pass at the airport, or using their call center. These fees can add up, so in order to ensure that you're getting the best deal, what you'll want to do is compare the final prices when you're comparing your flight options. Instead of just searching for flights and comparing the initial fare prices that pop up when you do your search, go through the entire booking process until the payment page Add in all the fees that you think you'll use and look at the price that you pay at the end. Low-cost carriers will also usually have all their fees listed on a page on their website, and so you can go there too to figure out how much extra you're going to be paying on top of your ticket price. Then, look at the final price that you're paying after you've added in everything that you're going to use, like checked bags. And if you're going to be using a lot of things that have fees, flying on a low-cost carrier might not actually be the cheapest option. Sometimes, simply paying for something like a second carry-on bag that goes in the overhead bin can double the price that you are paying. On a similar note, don't get surprised by any fees. If you're flying Spirit Airlines, for example, and you need to print your boarding pass at the airport, they're going to charge you $10 per boarding pass. If you're flying on a low-cost carrier and you find out that your carry-on bag is too big when you get to the gate, you can count on them charging you to check it, and it's probably going to be more expensive than if you paid for it in advance. In fact, things at a low-cost carrier tend to be cheaper when you pay for it in advance. And then there's just some things that are just a little bit odd or perhaps unexpected. For example, some low-cost carriers, mostly in Asia, don't allow you to consume your own food on board. And this forces you to purchase food from them if you want something to eat during your flight. This is the case on airlines like AirAsia and Scoot, both of which are Asian low-cost carriers. Ryanair equips the front doors of its Boeing 737 planes with built-in staircases, and these mechanically deploy and retract, and this way, they don't have to use external air stairs from the airport. Because low-cost carriers will try to reduce their airport costs, they might also use less convenient airports, and this has an impact on you as a traveler. For example, 
Memmingen Airport in Germany is sometimes branded as Munich Memmingen Airport, despite the fact that it's about 100 kilometers or 68 miles away from the city center of Munich. Low-cost carriers Ryanair and Wizair both use Memmingen Airport, although I should point out that Ryanair also does have some flights from the main Munich airport. If low-cost carriers are striving to keep their costs low, you might be wondering if it affects their safety. And the answer here is that low-cost airlines are just as safe as any other airline. Historically and statistically speaking, they're no more or less likely to get into accidents than traditional airlines. One thing that a lot of low-cost carriers do to save costs might actually make you feel better about them safety-wise when you compare them to other full-service traditional airlines. The larger low-cost carriers tend to operate new planes, and this might seem a little bit counterintuitive because new planes are expensive, but they also allow for the airline to have savings on things like fuel and maintenance. And on top of that, low-cost carriers will often make large orders, which gives them the power to negotiate large discounts. And these savings add up to outweigh the higher costs of buying new planes. There's two commonly cited safety-related stories out there about low-cost carriers that I want to quickly address. First, there was either a story or a video or something out there that basically showed an EasyJet engineer using what appeared to be duct tape to fix something on a plane. Now, what was actually happening was that they were using aluminum tape, which is also known as metallic tape, and it's a safe, durable, and actually quite expensive material that pretty much all airlines use. The second incident is that of Southwest Airlines Flight 1380, when in 2018, an engine exploded in flight, and that caused some debris to hit a window. The window broke, and a passenger got partially sucked out, and unfortunately, they died from their injuries. The investigation found that the explosion was caused by a small crack in one of the parts within the engine. However, it also found that Southwest Airlines' maintenance was not a factor in the accident, and what this means is that the accident could have happened to any airline that was operating that type of aircraft. At the end of the day, low-cost carriers offer the same level of safety as any other airline. It's in an airline's interest to maintain a good safety record, Accidents lead to bad PR, which leads to bad financial losses. Low-cost carriers just simply aren't any more or any less dangerous than any other airline. At this point, I want to discuss two side notes. First, I promised earlier that I would talk a bit about Southwest Airlines and JetBlue. Southwest Airlines is based in the United States, and it's the world's oldest and largest low-cost carrier, but they do things a bit differently. They try to foster a fun and friendly atmosphere, and are known for having super nice and funny staff. If you've ever flown with them, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. They're a low-cost carrier, and they do do some of the things I talked about earlier, but they also hand out free snacks and let passengers check two bags for free. They're actually so proud of this last fact that they even have trademarked the term bags fly free. JetBlue is also a bit of a special case, because they're a low-cost carrier and they offer low fares, but they also have some pretty premium services, like a very nice business class known as Mint, and free Wi-Fi for all their passengers. The second side note I have concerns where you buy your plane tickets. If you go to a booking website like Expedia or Travelocity, you might not be able to find flights on low-cost carriers. 
And this is because airlines actually have to pay to be listed on some of these websites, and low-cost carriers will pass on these costs. So if you're looking for cheap fares and you want to consider low-cost carriers, make sure you go directly to their websites. I hope that you now have a better understanding of how low-cost carriers work. And next time you're looking to travel cheap and have low-cost carriers as an option on your radar, there's two things to consider. First, be realistic about your expectations. Your seat is probably not going to recline, you might not even have a tray table. For example, if you're flying on some of Ryanair's planes, they don't have seat back pockets, and that saves them cleaning and seat costs, and what they do is they take the safety card and post it on the back of the seat in front of you. On top of that, your airline is probably going to be trying to sell you things left, right, and center. Make sure you know what the fees are. If you know what you're getting yourself into and are fine with it, then low-cost flying might be a great option for you. People will laugh at those who fly low-cost carriers and expect free snacks or nice seats and end up being really upset when they don't get, you know, a great service experience. So just don't end up being that person. Secondly, make sure that you are actually getting a good deal for you in your specific case. Add up all the fees that you're going to use, like checked bags, to make sure that you're going to be getting a good deal compared to other airlines. And for some things, you just can't put a price tag on it, and it'll really be up to you to determine its value. If your flight is to a small or secondary airport, does that matter to you, for example? These are some things that you can only decide based on your own views and your own situation. Low-cost carriers have very unique and interesting business models, and they can be a great option for those who are looking for a good deal. A lot of people will use them to get around Europe cheaply, as an example. As long as you know what you're getting yourself into, and you make sure that you get a good deal for your situation, then they can definitely be a great option for people who are traveling on a budget, or who just want to save a bit of money on their next flight. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Flying Smarter. For the latest updates, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Flying Smarter and on Twitter at Flying underscore Smarter. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you again soon. Hold up. 